I am, as Pastor, not Joe and not Glenn, but Evan said, old school. I just got, for the record, one of these on Sunday. And Evan was trying to show me how to use it. So, today we're going to discuss the Jewish holidays. And before, and then next week we'll get into Passover more specifically. At least that's the goal. Sorry for the mess up here, but I need a, we don't have a, an eraser. So, we're going to be writing on the boards. Hopefully your Hebrew is all good, because that's what Evan said, you're all good in Hebrew. And you don't have Bibles, but you have Phones. Makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? I normally don't use notes, however, oh, the clock. This way I will know when I have gone over, which is a common occurrence. So we are ending at what time, just for the record? Noon, excellent, that's what I was, I did get a special dispensation. Are you guys dispensationalists or Pentecostal, you're more in the charismatic Pentecostal, are they dispensationalists or no? Beyond that, never mind. All right, well, I got a special dispensation to go till noon from whoever just said that. <clears throat> See, I've got a clock. This is amazing. I still carry my flip phone around, though, with me because I love it. And I'm going to get another flip phone with a phone number for the special people because I love my flip phone. So, just a little background here. What time am I ending? Questions at 10.20, got it. (laughs) Maybe 10.30, or after services, then I get more time. Because now I've got basically 30 or so, five minutes, which will probably get my name out and spelling of it. So before we begin, you started with a prayer. Before I study, or before I teach... I often begin in a moment of silence, or with a moment of silence, because there's so much noise around us, there's so much sensory input, whether it's auditory or visual, that we often fail to hear what lies deep within us. And there's a beautiful saying, I don't know who said it, you can look it up on your iPhone, Learn to be quiet enough to hear the genuine within yourself so that you can hear the genuine in others. And then I would just add to that by extension so that you can hear the genuine in the universe. There is a silent echo that permeates all of existence and that we often fail to hear because of the noise and the chatter, whether it's in our own mind or whether it's the noise around us. My wife says a lot, she says, you talk so much about silence, but for a person who speaks on silence, you sure talk a lot. So, let's just, for just a few moments, just sit, or stand in my case, and let's have a moment or two of silence so that we can hear the enduring truth that is beyond words and beyond thoughts and is immediately accessible to all of us if we're willing to hear it. Probably shouldn't do this on a podcast. That's good, good for the uh, audience, isn't it? Silence. Did anybody hear the sound Ohm? Because if you did, you're in the wrong building. Right? That's the sound of the universe. All right, that was a joke. You're allowed to laugh. <laughs> so, speaking of humor, humor is an essential element in a sacred practice. What do you call? 
A porta potty for pigs. A porca potty. There you go. All right. That's all you need to know about Judaism. Thank you for coming. We will see you next week. Any questions? So everybody likes black better than green, blue, and red. Yeah? Or purple. Okay. So just a little background on me. My name is Joe. I have yeshiva training, what we call Talmudic training in an academy, a Jewish seminary. Done it in Israel, New York, and California. Somewhere along the training, I decided I didn't want to be a rabbi. I had no desire to have a pulpit. However, I enjoyed the study. So there are certain courses I never took because I have no desire to write 20 or 30 pages on several subjects that I don't care about. So I am not officially a rabbi. I am not ordained. I have functioned in a rabbinic role, if you want to call it that, in synagogues. I have substituted for rabbis in Colorado or Los Angeles, Virginia. But I am not technically a rabbi, however, and I don't want to be one, I don't want to have a pulpit, but here's what's interesting. For years in seminary, my own rabbis have all said, why don't you just get ordained? I said, because I don't want to. And they said, just do it. And my wife, is the, who is a rabbi, has been one of the foremost people for years beating me over the head. And it is a noble goal, but it's not something I have an interest in. Fast forward... I will be ordained within probably a month. I decided to just, <laughs> not, but, but, if you call me rabbi, I won't talk to you. So, I have a Jewish background, and as Pastor Evan said, did I get the name right? Thank you. I am a traditional Jew. I'm not Messianic or Messianic. I have friends who are, and I've taught at their synagogue. I also have, how I do have a background in New Testament, however. I know Greek, I know Koine Greek, right? But if you speak modern Greek, don't ablakon migo in the Greek modern because I don't speak modern Greek. Mine is biblical and it's very different. I've also taught comparative theologies, Judaism and Christianity. Not why one is right, and one is wrong. I'm a practicing Jew. This is my tradition. But when I teach, I don't teach why the other is wrong. I try to teach why we're different so that we can understand each other. Because I believe we can have differences in our sacred walk and we can honor that difference in the other. It's an honorable difference. It's a holy difference. And... I'm not here in any way, regardless of what they said in the beginning, which was very funny, that you're all going to become Jews after. I hope you become good Christians, better Christians. Amen? That's what I'm allowed to say here, right? That doesn't, you can, you can, I, I expect to hear a bunch of interruptions with amen, hallelujah, because that never happens to me, <clears throat> right? Or snoring. I'm used to snoring. So as far as Judaism, the reason why I'm not here, and I mean this sincerely, I am not here to convert anybody. You guys can be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> I'm smiling too for the camera that is not here. Uh, Judaism is not an exclusive faith. We believe that the divine or the holy one, God, is infinite. And therefore, access to the divine is not limited by one ism or one tradition. The approach to the divine, who is infinite, must be infinite. We believe that there are an infinite number of ways of approaching the sacred. Some might be a little better, some might be a little worse. But they all, in general, as long as you're following a path of decency and love and honor and compassion, they're all going to get you there. So the metaphor that I use, at least I modify it, is that we're all on this sacred ascent, right, up the mountain, and here's the big old G-Daddy, Right, God? I'm going up this side of the mountain. Over here is an ocean. So there's a lot of moisture that rises and condenses 
forms clouds and rain, so it's very lush here. So I'm having a great time. I've got a lot of food with the fruit trees, and I've got water. But Pastor Evan is on this side. Well, what happens once the rain all comes here? The clouds are gone, the air is dry, and it comes down, and then you have over here a desert. But this side is also pretty dry. There's not much moisture coming down. So over here you find a lot of rocks and a lot of dirt and very few creatures to survive on. Certainly no fruit trees. And certainly no farms. So Evan gets lost and goes this way. And I get a little lost and go this way. And we meet in the center. And we're talking and he looks like He's tired. <laughs> Got to clean it up here. We're on podcast. He's weak. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And I'm vibrant. And I'm full. Because I have water and food. And he says, there's no water and food anywhere around here. I said, what are you talking about? The whole thing is water and food and vegetation. Which one of us is right? The truth is, we both are. And that's how I view the sacred. And I think, broadly speaking, Judaism does. Each one of us offers a different aspect of this sacred ascent and insight into the divine. No one tradition has a monopoly on truth, I believe. I know other traditions don't accept that. But I want you to understand that Judaism believes that there is more than one way to approach the infinite. As paradoxical as that seems... Right? And there's a favorite quote of mine who, from a, uh, an Episcopalian priest who wrote a cookbook. You guys are going to get this. It's called The Supper of the Lamb. Get it? Yeah. They didn't. And in there he says, you think it's a book on cooking. I'm a vegetarian. What am I doing with the Supper of the Lamb? I don't eat lamb. He has a quote in there that says, Paradox is the only basket large enough to hold truth. So, we have different traditions. Sometimes we're parallel. Sometimes we part ways, either this way or this way. And sometimes other traditions go in different directions. And the paradox is that they all, in some way, somehow, at least in my model, lead us to the sacred. I don't care if we're going around and around and around. Eventually, we get there. If you go down, you are still learning about that mountain. And that sacred ascent will give you more insight into the nature of the divine. You offer insights that I don't have. I offer insights that others don't have. And together, we come to understand that one holy source of all existence. Uh, I'm getting off track a little bit, I guess, because this isn't a theology lecture, but I did that once. I, I, lecture, I gave a lecture. It was supposed to be three weeks. This is why you'll understand why they told me about time. It was supposed to be three weeks. It ended up being nine months. Once a week for two hours. Because the church asked me to speak on Judaism. And it was wonderful. And we discussed theology. And it was so rewarding. Now I know everything I did wrong because was, I was winging it. I did it the first time. I realized everything that I did wrong. And I would do it again very differently. But the last time I was at a Pentecostal church, I was asked to speak on the Holy Spirit. I said, really? You want me to come and speak to a... Of all places, right? All Christianity has the Holy Spirit. But it's a little different here, right? It's a little more present, active. You got the gifts and so forth. So I'm thinking, I'm gonna, you want me to speak on the Holy Spirit? He said, yes. I said, the, the third person of the Trinity. Yes, right? <laughs> the third person of the Godhead, the triune God. Yes. Okay, we don't believe in it. Thank you all for coming. Next. But I actually did speak, believe it or not, for an hour on something that was enriching for all of us. At least I enjoyed it. All right. So here is the napkin for my eraser for those who aren't visually observing this because Pastor Evan wouldn't get me an eraser, so I'm using a napkin. It's not working very well. Judaism... It's a beautiful passage in the Song of Songs. The voice of my beloved knocks. Chapter 5. 
I think it's verse 2. The reason I want to say this is because this will give you an insight into how Judaism approaches the sacred. Not just for Jews, but for all human beings. You don't have to practice Judaism to benefit from some of the Jewish ideas. The ideas are very universal. The form is very particular. There's often a narrative in Christianity that Judaism was for the Jews and that promise was made accessible to the Gentiles through Jesus. Right? You were grafted on. Anybody know where that's from? Ooh. Did I hear it right? Yes. I think I heard Romans. So, Judaism believes itself to be quite universal. The ideas are often framed in the particular. The rituals are often framed in the particular. But there is a universal idea that if you understand that this is how we approach the universal, you will see it in a much broader text. So when we get to Passover, even though you're probably not going to observe the Passover, and certainly not in the way we do, you will see that there's a universal idea, whether you're Sikh, whether you're Buddhist, that, or Christian, or even a humanist, you will see that there is relevance to these metaphors or these myths. Sacred myths, not myth falsehood, myth academically. Sacred wisdom. So, we all have access to the holy. This verse in the Song of Songs, the voice of my beloved knocks. That word for, so, so metaphorically, we know it, literally it's talking about male lovers. But metaphorically or allegorically, we often understand it as relationship between you and your soul, or between your soul and the God. But the idea is that there is, for the sacred, the metaphorical idea, is that the voice of my beloved, the voice of my soul, the voice of the divine, is knocking. Okay? What that tells you immediately is that the sacred is inviting you. The holy path that we follow is an invitation. We don't have to accept. But it is an invitation. But here is where the Hebrew is compromised by the English. It's not a bad translation. And any other translations that you have that convey the same idea, no translation is particularly bad. Some might be a little more nuanced. But nothing will capture the Hebrew. This word, knock, the voice of my beloved knocks. I guess I need it. Knocks also means... This word, the root, also means to pulsate, to beat. Now it changes from an external, I'm getting an invitation to enter. Now, now it's pulsating. Knox becomes pulsates, pulses within me. Now I have this holy voice, this divine voice that is pulsating rhythmically within me. Like my heart beats, but it's silent. It's the silence of the soul that is constantly pulsating within us. And we have an opportunity to hear it or to ignore it. That's what all of us who are following a sacred path ultimately hope to achieve. To encounter that thriving, pulsating, rhythmic source of life that beats within us. So it's also an invitation because it is a knock. It's not going to come like a steamroller or a, a bulldozer and barrel its way into your heart. You open your heart and you accept that invitation. And it will lead you to places that are very, very beautiful. So, what I hope to do today is give you some insights into how the holy holidays pulsate or knock within us, and more importantly, how we can learn to hear that holy wisdom. Because as it says in Psalms, ultimately, silence is your, the Lord's, praise. We have to learn to hear in silence. It's the most profound way of encountering the sacred. Singing is wonderful. To sing in Hebrew, one of the words 
the root, the word means to sing. And you sing here, and you sing beautifully. Many traditions have singing. What's the importance of song? The root of this word is to sing, but it's also, it has a dual root. It also means to see. Because when you sing, usually there's joy, and that allows you to see more deeply into the sacred. What do I need? Oh, I got an eraser. Lord answers prayers, right? So through your song, from now on when you're singing, now singing takes on a whole new sacred practice because it's going to allow you to see. To see that there is more to existence than merely what is before you. Okay? In the external world. We live in a world of externals, as a great Catholic theologian said. Okay? We live in a world of externals. The goal is to connect with that enduring aspect of our being, the eternal and holy soul that animates all of existence. So for the holidays today, the Jewish holidays or holy days, I know Pastor Jason gave a little overview of some uh, of the Jewish holidays. I'm not sure I wasn't here. I know he did some. I'd like to offer a different paradigm. Every tradition approaches its own sacred text through its own lens, its own hermeneutic, its own way. There's always history to texts. Okay? There's the Exodus, since we're going to talk about Passover. That was a historic event, or at least it's portrayed as a historic event. If you're not, I'm assuming here everybody is more on the there is history in the Bible, so this isn't the... Is this the, uh, the atheist, secular crowd, Pastor? Or was that the next one? So, there's history. Even if you don't believe it's history, it's recorded as history, even if you believe it to be false. But the idea here is that there's a historic dimension to our sacred text. Where Judaism adds to, as do other traditions, it adds to the history... By saying, in addition to history, there's meta-history. They don't use that word because it's Greek. <laughs> right? We do Hebrew. But, or it's metaphor. Another meta. How's that? Practicing our Greek. Right? It's metaphor. So it's history and it's metaphor. It's prose and it's poetry. I'm not going to concentrate on the history. The history you can read here. And whatever your historical perspective is, fine. In addition to that, I want to focus on the meta-history. The beyond. The after-history. Okay? The metaphor of the history. What does it symbolize? What is the poetry that is being lost when we only look at the historical event, as if it's history. Anybody here Jewish? Don't all raise your hand at once. Remember, you're supposed to convert. <laughs> Not. Did you go through the Exodus, the sea, when it split? Anybody here? No. Even the gray folks here didn't do it, right? Did I? No. Well, at least I'm Jewish, so I have some connection. And fine, you're grafted on, and it's your text too, so yes. But did anybody go through that? What relevance does them going through the split rivers and then the Egyptians drowning have? What relevance is that for my life? I understand God works in history. Lovely. But I'm not walking through rivers expecting them to part to save me from my enemies. So what is the metaphor of this history? What is the poetic relevance in my life? That's what I want to try and do. So we've got a lot of holidays in Judaism. Most of them are biblical, some of them are rabbinic, like Hanukkah. Everybody know Hanukkah? Okay, God bless the Catholics, because that's why we have the text, right? Because the apocryphal works have Maccabees. Nobody here has Maccabees in their Bible. We have it in our Talmud, we have the story, our oral tradition, but we don't have the actual text from the Maccabees, the family. They saved that. So Hanukkah, we have Purim, right? That's biblical. Everybody know Purim? Esther? We have Rosh Hashanah, that's the day of judgment. I won't discuss it because it's 
kind of biblical, kind of not. <laughs> the word is there, but it's not referring to the same holiday that we sort of express it as. Yom Kippur. Everybody knows Yom Kippur, anyways. The Day of Atonement, right? Passover. Anybody heard of that? Right? I expected it. Fine. If you take the historical aspect of Passover, the initial part of it, great. God passed over the houses of the folks who had the little blood on the doorposts. Anybody putting blood on your doorpost? What's the relevance for me? In addition to the history, there is a poetry and a metaphor that will animate my spiritual walk and my spiritual life. And in Jewish thought, the holidays are never understood as simply history, but also as poetry. It's never simply one dimension. And that's true of Judaism in general. It is never just one or the other. The holidays or the holy days are holy ways for us to encounter the sacred. So they are ways, they are paths that allow us to engage and encounter the holy. And they are ways that allow us to encounter ourselves, more importantly. It always has to come back to within. In Judaism, the names are what are key to giving us insights in Hebrew to the holidays. They're key, actually. The names are key for everything. The names in the biblical stories, all the names... Evan, why is your name Evan? Fine, but why did they name you the Welsh form of John as opposed to the Russian form or the English or the Greek or the Hebrew? Okay, so nothing to animate and give meaning to your walk in life. Anybody here know why they're named? Is it usually just because my parents named me? That's, the major- That's not how it worked in the ancient world. Jewish and non-Jewish. Name in Judaism equals essence. So your name is not just what you're called. Joe, John, Bill, Steve. It is. But it's also... That's the history. My parents named me. Fine. Name also equals your essence, which means not just what you're called, but what you're called to be or do. In life. That's why the biblical stories have stories behind the names. Why was Adam called Adam? Why was Jacob called Jacob? Why was Esau Esau, however you say it in English? Why was he called Esau? Why were all of Jacob's kids given a story behind their name? Why was Adam called Adam? Anybody? Huh? He was what? First man. Yes, but that's not why he was called that. In English, it doesn't help. It says Adam was called Adam because he was from the ground. Well, so what? What's ground have to do with Adam? Well, phonetically, not etymologically, just in case there are any Hebrew scholars, Adam, the first person, and ground, Adam, Adam, A-D-A-M, and A-D-A-M-A-H. There's a little ah at the end. But you can see the, the A-D and the M. That's just a vowel. A-D-M. This is a suffix. Phonetically, these are related. Etymologically, as far as root, they're not. But that's where academics and grammarians don't understand Hebrew the way we do. They are phonetically the same. Adam, Adam, Ah. You can hear the parallel. Adam was called Adam because he was from the ground. That still doesn't help me, right? All that tells me is Adam was a dirt, you know, from the dirt. Was he a dirt bag? What's it trying to teach me? How, what is the, the relevance of that? Because I'm, I'm supposed to be Adam, so... The, where, where the rabbis come in is they say, yes, it's phonetically, it sounds the same, and there are other words for human being that could have been chosen that don't have this word play. Therefore, it is intentional. They are relating it phonetically, and there's a theology behind the, ph- the phonetics of it. You follow? It's intentional. Okay? Hickory dickory dock doesn't have, except it rhymes, but there's no meaning. This is intentional. Okay? Because there's about five words for human being. 
And only this one relates to this. So they're trying to make an interplay between these two words that aren't etymologically related, even though they look like they are. Phonetically, they sound the same. So this is phonetic theology, okay? Phonetic spirituality. And I'm not going to go into what it means and why, I should say, why it means ground. That's, again, theology. I just want you to understand the names and the importance of names because I'm going to discuss names of holidays to help you see the deeper insights. And if we do it another time, we'll talk about Adam and do it another time. Fine. Um, Got to talk to the pastor about that. So the names of these holidays are going to offer us sacred, sacred insights into their essence that are different from simply the history behind it. I don't care about the history ultimately. I hope it happened. I believe it happened. Fine. And now, I'm looking for the now, the present, the relevant for my life and for all of our lives as people who are engaged in a sacred path, whether we're Jewish or not. And at our services, we have, I would say, almost every conceivable, maybe not every, but we have many faiths who come. We have Sikhs. We have evangelical Christians. We have Buddhists. We have Hindu priests. We have Catholics. We have Protestants. We have some Jews even. Right? We have some humanists. Okay? My friend is the former head of the Humanist Society of America. He comes. And we all relate in our own way to the holy. So as far as the holy, the holidays, let's see where we can go here with 10 minutes. Actually, we didn't say 10, 15, which time zone, so I'm going on California. Got another hour. Excellent. Thank you. The holidays are for us, all of us, whether it's my holiday or your holiday, it's a holy day. It's an opportunity to encounter that holy, that holy aspect of time. Famous Jewish theologian speaking about another a specific holiday, but I'm going to broaden it to all holidays. He calls, he calls it with the Sabbath, but I'm saying in general, holidays, all of our holidays are cathedrals in time. He's, he's, he's a very, that's how he speaks or writes in general. What's amazing is English is, like his, English is like his fourth language. And he can come up with that. That's better than anything I could ever come up with. It's a cathedral in time. So it's an opportunity for you in time to encounter the holy. There is something distinct about this time as opposed to the time before or after. Or before or after, depending on which direction you're looking. The sacred seasons or the sacred times offer us a potential to connect with the holy. It's potential. It's up to you ultimately to connect. But it connects us with our inner being because the seasonal holidays or the sacred holidays have their own inner beat. And when we connect to that inner beat of that time, we're connecting with the inner being of the universe and therefore an essential part of ourselves. So there is that, that same pulse, there's that same beat that we spoke, off with, uh, spoke of at the beginning. We return each year, right? We're here now, Passover. Next year I'm here again, Passover. Same holiday. Why do I have to do it again and again? In Jewish thought, the sacred ascent is not simply up or down, you know, deep, whichever direction you want to go, or in. It's not linear. It's spiral. So yes, I come back here to this place, but now I'm either here or here. If you're deepening your practice or if you're ascending, or you might just have fallen off the way. You're in the same place, but at a different level. The sacred is a spiral ascent. So just because you're doing it again, when you come up with Easter, it's not the same Easter because you're not the same. Unless you haven't moved forward and you've regressed there's always the potential but don't look at it as simply the same holiday because it's not the same if you're not the same we say in our prayers every day sing from the psalms sing sing to the lord sing a new song well i just sang it yesterday how was it a new song and i sang it last week and the week before it's not a new song well yes it is if you're renewed by it 
Because remember, song means to see. You will see more into the sacred if you approach it with humility and openness and reverence. So it's not the same song. Same words, but not the same song. Because you're not the same. And the Sabbath is one of our foundational holidays. You have a Sabbath too. It's today. Right? There's a difference in how we understand the Sabbath. But the root is the same. Okay, fine. We've parted ways in certain areas about the Sabbath. But what I want you to understand is the root idea of the Sabbath. Okay? This word is first used in Genesis 1 when it talks about God resting or stopping or ceasing, right? So that's its primary meaning. Little language departure here. One word in Hebrew. This is not for English. This is not for English, but for Hebrew. One word in Hebrew often has four, five, six meanings, just like in English. That's fine. I got the word bark, like a dog, and bark like the tree. Spelled the same, sound the same. Is there any connection between them? It's not that my tree barks and wakes me up at night. Okay? It's no connection between bark and bark. They're just phonetically the same, but they're completely unrelated historically and etymologically. That's not how it works in Hebrew, and they won't teach you this in seminary. And they won't teach you this in modern Hebrew. This is how the rabbis approach Hebrew. One word often means X and Y and Z and A and B. And guess what? They are completely distinct, just like bark and bark. Or, what's another? Uh, Wind and wind, right? No connection. In Hebrew, when you have two, three, or four, or five words that are all the same. So let's just say it was this. This word has about four, five, six meanings to it. It's not that they're all distinct and separate. They are all interrelated. You must relate them to each other. Because the author of the text knows that there's another word for stop that only means stop. Yet he chose this word, which has this and this and this and this as its meanings. So if you don't take into account these other aspects, they are informing this word or any word. You're essentially aborting The ultimate meaning of this text, the life of this word, I mean, is being cut off because he chose this word with these intentions as nuances to enhance the overall meaning. So this word Sabbath, you have a Sabbath. Fine. You don't do it on Saturday or Friday night with me. You want to come Friday night? Welcome. We'll feed you. And I mean that sincerely. I'll I'll write my phone over there. You can call me. I don't want to say it over the iPod because then everybody will call Actually, I'm going to get Pastor Evan's number. So it means to stop. But again, how is that a metaphor? For, that was God stopping. It has other meanings, other people stopping, fine. But what is the relevance of stopping in my life for your Sabbath? When you come to your Sabbath service on Sunday, have you stopped? Have you taken a moment to realize where you are? That right now, it is a different atmosphere. There is an an opportunity here for an encounter and to engage. It's the foundation of all spiritual practice, whether it's in the form of meditation or simply reflection. But if we don't stop... It's first meaning, like in in Zen thought, they talk about the monkey. The mind is like a monkey. What's a monkey do? It's always bouncing or swinging from tree to tree. Is there any opportunity for encounter or engagement when you're always moving from place to place? No. In a relationship, speed dating, hello, hello, hello. Where's the intimacy? It requires stopping, reflecting, encountering. But that's only one of its meanings. And that's a broader meaning than simply stop. Right now, am I keeping the Sabbath? I've stopped. No. This is not stopping. It's a, it's a path. We are stopping our regular ways. So we can now turn or return to something 
more enduring and essential, which is the second related word that this root right here means, shin bet. Okay? Or if you just want to take these three letters, tashav. But it's related. Sometimes you can do it a dual root. Sometimes you can do it a trilateral root. Two letters or three. Sometimes it's a combo of both. But it also means to return because the only way you can stop a return is if you stop. Because we're so focused outward, we must turn within. But you have to stop first to realize I'm going in the wrong direction. So every time you walk into your church service or every time you, before you pray, that can be your Broadly speaking, your Sabbath, an opportunity to stop so you can turn within. And then its third meaning, it also means to restore or refresh. Because that's the only way we truly restore ourselves to who we are. And, off, and allow ourselves to become who we potentially may be. So it starts with stopping. That's why this is a path. It's not just a day. It is a practice. It is a path where we stop the world of, ex- of externals. And we begin to return to that world of the internal. It's, it's the internal world that ultimately restores us. And if your Sabbath, if you walk out of your Sabbath service, the same as you are right now, and you're lovely, fine. But you can be lovely walking out of a movie. You can be lovely walking through the park. Have you returned and restored as a result of your Sabbath? Is there restoration in your life as a result of coming to your holy structure and engaging in your holy service? Okay, it means a few other things, but with time, I'm just going to stop with Passover. Let's just do something real quick on Passover, and then I'll take a few questions. The word Passover, we know historically, and again, you know where it is in the text. You can find it's in Leviticus, it's in Exodus. The event simply is that, the initial event, where we get the word Passover, is that God passed over the houses, right, that had the blood on it. So we call it Pesach, which means P-S-H. You don't have that letter in English. (laughs) But Pesach, the vowels don't mean anything. The root is Pesachah. So just tell somebody you're going to Pesachah. <laughs> How was your Pesachah? I had a lady who has, she, I, she, she got a book on Amazon for me once because I didn't have, I don't have computer skills as you know. Did I tell everybody I just got an iPhone? <clears throat> Thank you. So she would order things for me because I'm not too gifted on the computer and, and I ordered a book on Pesach, P-E-S-A-C-H and she said, what's Pesach? I said, nothing. <laughs> so it means the Passover. Okay, that's its one name. But it also is called the festival of the unleavened bread. Right? Anybody know that? That matzah, that flatbread? Okay. So it's the festival of unleavened bread. So it's got two names. Actually, it has more than that. Well, just what, what we just did with this, this is truly amazing. Because even if... Yeah, now, now, in Christianity, it's a little different because the, the, the Passover is central. Even though the paradigm has shifted, the theology has developed from that historic event in Egypt to Jesus being now the Passover lamb, right? Who's come to save the world from their sins. Fine. I'm not interested in how we develop. We can discuss that another time and how we parted ways theologically and where we overlap and where we're, we're different. Fine, that's not the point today. I want you to understand the relevance of Passover for your life is more, more than, more than, because Passover, as I said before, it's our particular way of one of our particular ways. We have many holidays. This is one of our ways of accessing the divine. What about you? What about Hindus? What about secular people? This is broad enough to include all of us, even if you don't engage in our specific, particular form. But the practice here that we are all engaged in, that underlies this, is universal. So the word Pesach, let's go unleavened bread, because everybody knows about matzah. That's what we eat. We don't eat anything leavened. Unleavened bread, it's called Chag HaMatzot, okay? What Judaism often does is it ritualizes 
or puts into action theology. We are very ritually oriented. And unfortunately, that has been characterized as legalistic or works-based. Well, we are works-based. We believe in works. Okay? Is again... This is not a theological discussion of, is it works or faith? That's a separate discussion. The ritual of the unleavened bread, Chag HaMatzot, has relevance to every single human being, whether you eat the matzah or not. Whether you're Jewish or pagan, is no concern to me. Because what matzah represents, it's flat. What rises bread? What makes bread rise? Leaven. Okay? Leaven in Jewish thought. In fact, we'll do this next time. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do the Hebrew now. But leaven in Jewish thought is a metaphor or a symbol of pride. It's a fascinating word. It's related to the word for eyebrow because it's like highbrow. I'm, gonna, I'm looking down on you. And it's related... It's almost the same letters as the word for matzah. So this, I'm going to do this next time. Sorry, podcast. I hope this is on next time. But it's, this is an insight for life. And Passover is the first Jewish holiday. Correct? You can all nod. That wasn't a test. That was rhetorical. Okay. It is the first Jewish holiday. First is not just chronology. I don't care about first, second, third, fourth, fifth. First as far as quality. Foundation. Passover is the first holiday, not just because it's the first one, but because theologically it is of prime importance and a foundation for your sacred walk, whatever your sacred walk is. Why? Because the festival name Chag HaMatzot, Chag HaMatzot, or Matzais in my Eastern European Hebrew, It's telling you it's first because the first lesson you need to know and you need to encounter and you need to be transformed by the first concept that Passover is teaching you. I don't care if you eat 10 pounds of matzah, you're going to have a stomachache. If you don't, we ingest it because we are ingesting a theology. The theology behind the flatbread is that we cannot, if we want to be practitioners of the sacred, have pride. And we can say that intellectually. Yes, look at me. I am so humble. I've eaten 14 pieces of matzah. Now I'm constipated. Right? Maybe that, back up. (laughs) I've eaten 14 pieces of matzah. So what? Your stomach is full. But is there humility in your heart? You have a distended stomach. I'm more worried about your distended heart or your mind. Passover is the first holiday because it's foundational to all of the rest. If you don't have Chag HaMatzot, if you don't have a matzah mentality, if you don't have humility in your heart, all the other holidays that follow from that essentially are going to be compromised. The holiness will not impact a a, a, a prideful heart. It can't. It's too powerful. Holiness requires humility, acceptance, the ability to receive. In fact, the mystics in Judaism, this is a, the mystics in Judaism are called mikubalim, from the word kabal, which is to receive. The mystics, we think, oh, they're mystical, they're so fan. No. The foundational aspect of, in Jewish thought, of mysticism, the highest level of spirituality, if you want to rank it, is an ability and a willingness to receive. If you're not humble, there's no mystical aspect to your tradition, there's no holiness, and all of the other holidays that follow and that are built upon this foundation crumble. Humility is what Passover is teaching us. Initially, that's only one. I'm giving you one example of what this word means, the unleavened bread. We'll go into Passover and we'll go all the other meanings later, next week. But this is an intro. And what we're doing here is classic Judaism. I don't care if it's the little, everybody knows Deuteronomy 6, right? You'll, 
love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and so forth, and then bind them on your arm, right? And there'll be a sign between your eyes. Well, we bind things. And in Numbers 15, where it talks about having fringes on your garments, right? We wear them in, most of us. Those are rituals with a theology that guides and animates your life. If you don't live it, the ritual itself is dead. Ritual can lead to a deadening of the soul. There's no doubt about that. That's one of the charges against the Pharisees in the New Testament. And again, this is not a discussion on our differences. It's a false charge. Anything, look it, anything you do that is holy has the potential to numb you. That's not the problem with the ritual. It's a problem with the person. So, I am a Pharisee. If you liked anything I say today, good, you like the Pharisees. The, 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 the way that the, the New Testament portrays Judaism is very different from how Judaism understands itself. So who's right, who's wrong isn't the point. But you always have to, my goal when I study, and I told you, I've studied the New Testament, okay? I know Greek, I've taught it in Greek, okay? I've taught, taught it in Greek, not all of it. Nobody wants me to teach it. But, <laughs> but I don't teach it as a Jew. So I disagree with this idea. That I, I was teaching it to that Christian community uh, out in Maryland. Someone came a few weeks into the lecture series. And I had a hat on. And they said, someone in the front row, not you, but you, said, what, we were in Galatians chapter 2, and they said, what do you think about that as a Jew? Before I got my answer out, this lady who hadn't been there for the first few weeks when I explained who I was and what we're doing, she said, you're Jewish? I said, yeah. She said, oh, I thought you were a Christian pastor or a professor of Christian thought at a seminary. I said, God bless you, because that's my goal. My goal is not to tell you what I think is wrong with Judaism or Christianity or Hinduism or any faith. It's to tell you what they honestly believe from within their own tradition. And yeah, you get this scholar and this scholar and this scholar, fine. But broadly speaking... I don't want to know what the critics of it say. I don't want to know about Buddhism from a Hindu because Buddhism left. I don't want to know about Christianity from a Muslim. Okay? They got the corrected version. Everybody's correcting our version. (laughs) Understand, do you want to know about, I don't care what you are, Democrat, Republican, are you going to get the most accurate description of a Republican from a Democrat? Probably not. Okay? And vice versa. I want to know what Christianity teaches Regardless of what my tradition thinks about it, I'm not interested. I study the most academic and the most devotional sources that I can find. And if you looked at my library, you would think I was a Christian pastor. Okay? Try to understand the other through the other's lens and then examine it critically. And here's why I think that's wrong. And here's why, oh, that's an interesting point. But I still think X, Y, and Z. And they think A, B, and C. And I think I'm right. Fine. But at least understand what they actually believe instead of this false narrative that you've just deconstructed. So I'm here to present to you the relevance of Judaism, not just because you're Christians, but because you're human. Judaism is the particular way of encountering the universal for my people. It's, we do it through Jewish law, right? And law has a different connotation in my tradition than it does in the New Testament, right? Apart from the law, Romans 3 is the righteousness of God. I remember the first time I read that, I said, what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, Why? Step back, critical mind. No, that's not my point. My po- why, why, why? Oh, well, that's interesting. However, well, that's interesting. However, it's a back and forth dialogue. But first understand why and then say yes or no. Why from a representative source, not from some clown who knows nothing. So I hope to bring to you the relevance of Judaism from one human being to another. As people who are following sacred paths Even though we're on, ultimately, one path to the divine, it just has many forks in the road, which all ultimately, I hope, lead us to that one God, which in Hebrew, the rabbis call Hamakom. It means the place. The idea behind that, it's so rich. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to ramble like this, because it leads me to a very beautiful place that I wouldn't have come to had I not been here. The idea that the rabbis call God has many names in the Hebrew Bible. The rabbis gave him the name place because there's a brilliant philosophy or theology. Whatever place you are in, God is there. You just have to allow that presence to impact you. Thank you.
We'll do this again next week unless I've been fired. Oh, any questions? <laughs> that was not bad. I only went a few minutes over. So if, if, if you guys are okay, I'm fine. I don't want to keep anybody from their service or the bathroom. Um, but if you have any questions, I'm certainly happy to answer anything. And if not, we'll do it again next week. Same time, same bad channel. As the third person of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, fully God, fully human spirit, correct. We don't even have that concept. We do have the word, words, Holy Spirit. I think it's two or three times in the entire Hebrew Bible. Those words do appear side by side, Holy Spirit. However, there is no correlation between Holy Spirit and as a term or concept in Christianity and Judaism. The word is simply, if I said it's a beautiful spirit, what is beautiful? It's an adjective modifying spirit. The way it is used in the Hebrew Bible is it's, a, it's simply a descriptive term of the spirit. It is a holy spirit, not an independent or somehow God aspect of the Godhead. It is simply a description of the Spirit, like a blue chair, a Holy Spirit, a lovely Spirit, a kind person. Okay? It is a term of description, not an independent entity that somehow is bound up within a triune unity. Sorry. <laughs> but I love coming here. <laughs> and something's manifesting. How's that? Yeah. Checkers. Absolutely. Thank you. Usually, you know, the one time I, I was giving a talk and I went through what I thought was pretty basic. Uh, and I, I always have to realize basic is probably not the term to use when I'm thinking of it because of my, my level. What I think of as basic is often more advanced. So I, after the talk, someone came up to me and said, I feel like I just got fire hosed because it was just, you sprayed me with everything. So I was trying to limit it just to a few key concepts to help you understand that the Sabbath is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity to return to who you are in your soul, to connect with that essential aspect. It also means to measure. To measure. Because it's a time of reflection, or it should be. It's not just encounter and hallelujah and meeting friends and having a few bagels out there. Thanks for the bagels. I'm sure that was for me, right? <laughs> bagels for a Passover lecture. Brilliant. <laughs> Why don't you have shrimp with it, too? <laughs> shrimp bagels. Let's do it. Next week. I expect that. The idea of the Sabbath, in addition to returning, how do we ultimately return? Like I say, I didn't want to give too many steps because people get lost. It, it, it's, it's too short a time to give too many meanings. But I'll just say it this way. It is not simply a time of external response. It is a time, your Sabbath, because it is part of your Bible. But this is generic Sabbath. This is the idea that I think, why do Buddhists meditate? They're trying to come back to an aspect that is often covered up or forgotten. Right? It has been darkened. That's why it's enlightenment. Okay, we all have terms. We don't use the same terms. You use salvation. Buddhists use enlightenment. We use re redemption. Fine. But the idea is still we are being redeemed from something. We are being saved from something. We are coming out of darkness. But how do we return to that essential place that defines who we are outside of my title or my race or my gender? And to go back to our earlier, never mind, uh, <laughs> I'll leave it off. Sorry, Evan. It was funny, though. Laugh. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to give you another joke. The idea of how we return or turn back 
is we have to stop and reflect. Measure, where am I in my sacred walk? Because if you're not, you're not seeing where you're progressing or where you're failing. Holiness is infinite. But that doesn't mean you're always going to ascend just because you're in a holy environment. You have to look at yourself deeply. After you've had your encounter, how do you measure up? Are you walking out of here the same jerk that you were when you came in? It's a painful question. You're saying your holy prayers. This isn't a lecture on prayer, but the Hebrew word for prayer is one of the richest words in the Hebrew language. One of the Hebrew words. about five of them. Actually, there's about ten. It is so different from what we normally associate with prayer. Okay, we'll do it another time. We have time next time. But it's a time for you to measure up to this holy institution called the Sabbath. How am I returning? Have I returned? Or am I turning away? And we all do. We can turn from the holy. Or we can turn towards the holy. But we only know that if somebody tells us. Or if we truly and honestly and humbly reflect on where am I in my life. As a result of this sacred holiday. Did I turn away? Or did I turn to? Have I turned towards you? Or have I ignored you? Okay? That's one of its meanings. There's a couple of others. But that's one. That's the means by which we return. If you don't judge yourself and reflect, you'll never know how you measure up. Anybody else? Yeah, Sarah. Shalom? Never heard of it. Just kidding. Okay, I'll leave you with this. That's a good way to end. Good question. You know what your name means? I don't know about beautiful. Yeah, you, for you, yes, but I didn't mean it. Oh, oh, stepped in it. Hold on, I'm gagging on my leg right now. Let me pull it out of my mouth. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it that way. Did not mean it the way it came out. Yes, she's beautiful for the podcast. You should see her beauty. Okay? It doesn't literally have the meaning of beauty in it. Okay? I'm just going to change right now and walk away. I'm turning. I'm returning. Okay? Um, what, what, what'd you, a Sabbath. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Sorry. All right. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Sorry. Still, yikes. Great. I just called a new life member ugly. Thank you. Well, turn the other cheek. Love me. How's that? Sorry about that. No, you're beautiful, Sarah. I met Sarah outside. And yes. So the word shalom. Anybody know anything about what it means? Say a word. Peace. What else? Huh? Wholeness, peace. Two different words in English, but same word in Hebrew. How about hello? Everybody know that one? Shalom? I should have probably started with that. Shalom. Well, it means hello, which is nice. Every language has hello. Now, here's what's interesting about the Hebrew. And it's not because of lack of creativity in my native language or in this, my, my religion's native language that it also means its exact opposite, goodbye. Right? They were so uncreative, they couldn't come up with two words. Right? Hello, hello? No, hello, goodbye. Well, which one is it? So if I say shalom, am I saying hello or goodbye? I'm saying both. Okay, in addition to peace and wholeness, we'll get to it in a moment. But what's fascinating about this, I have just met, I'm going to try and redeem myself with Sarah. Sister Sarah, where'd you go? Oh, she left. Shucks. Just kidding. <laughs> shalom, Sarah. That means hello. And when we leave, I hope I only hear shalom with no other mutterings. The idea that the word shalom means hello and goodbye and peace and wholeness. Here's what I mean by it's like, like a kaleidoscope. You've got individual colors. These are theologies. These are practices. I say shalom because I'm saying hello to you. But now I'm saying shalom because I'm saying goodbye. What's the interconnect? And peace and wholeness. What 
is the theology or the philosophy or the wisdom in having the same word. Hello, hello. Goodbye, goodbye. Peace. All right, peace out. Yep, right? I just did my gang sign. <laughs> Wasn't too good. What I think, again, this is my approach to the language, but what I think it's trying to tell you is that first of all, make sure when you say hello, you say hello in such a way that when you say goodbye, the hello still echoes in that person's heart. You've impacted that person so that your hello, your presence, your meeting is encountering and accompanying them as you go. And it's led them to have more peace and wholeness. Every opportunity you meet, have to meet somebody, is an opportunity to say hello and grant, and grant peace and wholeness. This is a religious practice. Something, this is what Judaism does so beautifully. And again, I'm not here just to toot my own horn. Every tradition has its own unique brilliance. What I think Judaism does beautifully, I don't know about better than most, but beautifully, is it takes the most mundane actions and makes them a spiritually enlightening path. Not just for yourself, but for the other. Who cares about your own spiritual enlightenment? Great. I know the secrets of the world and I've encountered the divine. Who cares? Where does that lead you? How does that work in your life? So my hello, hello there. What's your name? Kim? Kim? Why's your name Kim? Just kidding. Back to that again. Shal- I don't know either. Shalom Kim. I hope that the hello that I have said, my presence, my encounter with all of you, when I say goodbye, my hello is still with you. It's still welcoming you. It's still greeting you. And it's given you more peace. Simply, simply by saying hello to somebody, you have the opportunity to instill in them some measure of peace and wholeness. Just a simple hello, a pat on the back. What a powerful opportunity for a sacred practice with a simple hello. Hello, I have just, everybody needs hello. Everybody is broken in some way and we need wholeness, okay? Say hello with the idea that you might be bringing more wholeness. In fact, you will be bringing more wholeness as a result of your presence, if it's a real hello. That way, it's not goodbye and it's parting because the hello, your presence, is with them because they are more whole and complete as a result of your encounter. So every person you meet is now an opportunity to make wholeness more present. Shalom.